All right, Maranatha, if we want to finish up our conversations, we can pick them back up at the end. Finish grabbing your coffee. We're going to continue our series as we are in John 6. So we're going to be in verses 41 through 59. John 6, 41 through 59. Uh, As usual, it's going to be up on the screen there. There's also Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of those home so everyone has one. We want you to have the Word of God in there because we want you to test what we say. We're not uh, proclaiming that, that this is our, uh, our Word, this is what our authority uh, falls under, or you should. Rather, we fall under the authority of Scripture. So we want everyone to have a Bible in their home so they can um, read it for themselves. As well as we have the resource wall over there, those books are free. We want you to, to utilize those books uh, because they contain really good knowledge and exposition of what the Scriptures uh, tell us about Jesus Christ. And the more we understand uh, the Word of God, the more we'll understand Christ and be in love with Him. So that's why we give those books away. Uh, we're grateful. Also, there's some Connect cards there in front of you. Please uh, fill out those Connect cards. Uh, the purpose of those cards are really so we know how to be praying for you, how we can serve you. Uh, they're not so we know uh, where you live or, or how to track you down, but they're really a way for us to serve you as the people who are coming to Maranatha. Even you regular attenders, even you members, uh, we're getting better and better at this, but please uh, fill out those cards. Uh, they do uh, help us quite a bit. Reminder, we've got a members meeting tonight. Easter's going to be on April 12th, so if you want to put that in your calendar, I know it's kind of hard to miss, but Easter is going to be April 12th, and then we have a foundations class the weekend before, so all of, these, all of you who hear about our membership class that are not members, that is a time for uh, us to give the vision and the mission of the church, why we're doing what we're doing, uh, it's the, we call it the foundations class, and that will be on April 5th, so Sunday, uh, April 5th, uh, will be at the end of the, end of the night there. Uh, for you to come and understand what's going on. It is a requirement of membership here at Maranatha because we want you to know uh, what we're doing, where we're going, why we're doing, why we're following this mission that Christ calls us to uh, so you can come along with us, okay? Now, if you would stand with me in reverence for God's word, we're going to read John chapter 6, verses 41 through 59. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, it, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father." Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes, the, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for life, uh, for, uh, sorry, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to come and worship you, Lord. You are worthy of our worship. We come each Sunday morning to come to hear your word preached, to to be in fellowship with other believers, to uh, lift up our voices in songs and hymns and praises to your name, but also to pray, to, to seek your wisdom and discernment and all the things that we need to know from your word that pertain to life and godliness. So Lord, please convict our hearts today. But even as we look into this difficult text that is relatively famous, uh, but gets misused um, sometimes, but uh, help us, Lord, as we look into this, this, this truth and this reality, because it's challenging. It is sometimes difficult for us to discern uh, the things of God, but uh, Lord, you are gracious and good because of your spirit, and through your spirit, you illuminate this truth for us. So I pray that you do that today and soften our hearts and don't let us harden them. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So kind of even through my prayer, I think it's okay for us to say that this text is somewhat complicated, right? It's somewhat confusing passage, but I believe the reason for the confusion is because there are attempts to understand, under, understand this passage away from the context of the rest of the conversation. It's confusing because we try to take it out of context and we try to just understand what Jesus is talking about by eating his body and drinking his blood. We take it out of the rest of the chapter. This exposition of truth that Jesus provides for us right here in verses 41 through 59 has been used to give evidence or biblical proof for the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And I don't think that's right. It's been used to do that. But it's not what's happening here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. I don't believe that Jesus is talking about, um, or rather, I don't believe this is what Jesus is talking about because it would have made zero sense to the people who were listening to him because Jesus, Jesus hadn't given those instructions yet. They wouldn't have understood in the context of what was happening. He didn't have any reference to the Lord's Supper. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on explaining the Lord's Supper, but I do want to address it right here at the beginning because, again, this passage is sometimes used as a way of explanation for it. You see, every week here at Maranatha, we participate in uh, the Lord's Supper. We take communion together. We come together as a united body of believers to partake in the Lord's table. And at this time, we explain each and every week what Jesus proclaimed and commanded for us to do at that time when, again, we take the Lord's Supper together. Jesus says that the bread that is broken represents his body and that the cup that is filled represents his blood that will be spilled. And we learn that in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and Luke 22. And then we are meant to perform this ritual as a way of remembrance of him and the work that he did at the cross and through his resurrection on our behalf. But then there's confusion in this. And the confusion with this passage, I think, comes from the mistake of reading what Jesus is talking about in the way that the Jewish people at that time apparently heard Jesus. Right? So the mistake is reading what Jesus is talking about in the way that the Jewish people at that time heard Jesus. In verse 52, the Jewish people start to discuss among themselves Jesus' literal words. His literal words. 
If you take it literally, their question makes sense, right? When they literally take, you want yours to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. If you take it literally, their question makes sense. Their question is, how is it possible we're supposed to eat this guy's flesh? How in the world are we supposed to just take a bite out of this guy? It seems crazy. But Jesus gives a correction for this. He corrects their, their, their uh, sort of just human perspective, and we're going to get to it in just a minute. But again, within the church, there's this ongoing debate about what's happening here and, um, and, and how it explains the Lord's Supper. Now, there's probably more views out there than this, but I'm just going to uh, give us a, ble- uh, a quick flyover for the major three opinions. The first one is that the Lord's Supper is like a memorial. Right? We partake of the blood, uh, rather the bread and the cup as a way to remember Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The second, this view uh, gets its validation from the historical theologian, very popular theologian John Calvin, as, whether, as well as other historical reformers. This opinion would believe that Jesus is actually present within the bread and the cup, although not physically, but he is there spiritually. The first one is more of a memorial, remembering. The second is that Jesus is there spiritually. And then the third is the Catholic Church's opinion, which is called transubstantiation. In this view, the bread and the cup, in fact, do transform in substance into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ, essentially showing the people that they are partaking in this reoccurring sacrifice for sin time and time again. Those are kind of the main three in the church today. And where does Maranatha stand? Maranatha holds, although we do hold to a theologically reformed biblical position, we would side with the memorial view of the Lord's table. And the reason for that is because although the Spirit is always at work within us in all the things that we do as Christians, this passage isn't telling us to feast on Jesus either physically or spiritually. It's not really telling us to to feast on him. Rather, this passage is speaking to us metaphorically, right? It's a metaphor for what's going on about the spiritual relationship that he gives us within the new life that we find in him. Therefore, this passage is about, uh, rather, it is not about the Lord's Supper. Rather, what it is about is the continuation of Jesus' teaching of eternal life. It's his continual teaching, right? We need to take it in the context of the chapter. We need to take it in the context of the entirety of the letter, of the book. And this is his continual teaching on eternal life. So let's go back to the top. Let's go back to verse 41 so we can understand. Because John actually gives us the reason why the Jewish people were concerned and even upset with what Jesus was teaching. Okay? So look at verse 41 with me. So the Jews grumbled about him. Now this grumbling, let me stop, this grumbling here is probably exactly what you might think it is. It's sort of this, this low rumbling among the crowd as they whispered their complaints to one another. There's in this confusion and really this uh, like self, selfish frustration for what was going on. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So there's two things going on here. There's two things, there's two reasons why there's this confusion and frustration that the Jewish people are feeling. And it has to do with the fact of what Jesus just told him. One, he told them that he is the one who provides eternal life. By this declaration, he's essentially telling them that I am God. 
I'm the one who brings eternal life. I'm the one who provides eternal life. And that he has come down from heaven, which would authenticate his divinity. And so he, just, he proclaims, I am God. And then he says, here is how I can prove it to you. I've come down from heaven. Now, if you remember last week, these same Jews, these same people, we heard their real natural, even expected response to Jesus' words if they were taken, again, literal, if they were taken merely physical. And now again, we see them responding, again, in a uh, more so just this human perspective, this human point of reference. Again, their questions seem obvious. Their question makes sense. This guy's come from heaven? Is this not Joseph's son? Am I wrong here? Is this not Mary and Joseph's kid, right? We just watched him grow up. Is this not that guy? In a merely physical, humanistic perspective, their questions make sense. But don't get confused about this, right? He's not just talking physically. From the human point of view, this makes sense because how crazy would it be or how crazy would we think someone if they suddenly walked in here, told us that they came from heaven and that they can provide us with eternal life, right? They can sustain us forever. We would think that person pretty crazy, right? So we don't have to be confused about their sort of response in this, but we have to connect again the passage to the conversation that we're already in the middle of, right? These are real people at a real time in history, and there are real things going on, so we have to put it in the context. Jesus just fed 5,000 men, and it makes it even more impressive when you bring in the potential women and children that were there. Uh, Paul told us it's probably somewhere around 20,000, which I agree with. And then Jesus goes and he walks on water to show his disciples that he's not here to be simply an earthly king. Rather, he is already the king over all creation. Then he is sought out by all of these people whom he just fed. And he tells them that you want me to lead you because you want what you want simply. What that simply is, is for your bellies to be filled and your imaginations to be entertained. He understands the heart of men. And then he tells these Jewish people, he tells them because he knows their true need, he says, I know that you're hungry. You want your bellies to be filled and you want your imaginations to be entertained, but I know that you're hungry. And if you believe in me, if you yield your life to me, I can give you what will cause you to never be hungry again. I can give you the true bread which will keep you from being hungry ever again. We know that he's not talking about spiritual food, right? We, we stand on this side of the cross. We have the whole gospel of John to read. We know that he's not talking about physical food, but rather spiritual fulfillment. We understand that because he says that he's here to do the Father's will, and that is to provide everyone that the Father gives to Jesus with eternal life. Right? We have the full perspective. We're able to look at this and understand truly what Jesus is saying. This is not simply human perspective. We have been given God's word, his revelation, to understand that he's talking about eternal life. We all hunger. We all thirst for something greater than ourselves for a purpose of why we are here and what we are to do. And Jesus is telling us that he can provide us with something that will cause us to never hunger again. We will be fulfilled eternally. Okay, so as we go on, then the Jews grumble, 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 right? How can he say all these things? Verse 43, Jesus answered them, 
Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. So in so in, the, in a response, Jesus answers or he responds to these whispers of discontent. Jesus repeats what he just said earlier. Again, in the context of the conversation, he just repeats himself about predestination and about election. And then he quotes Isaiah 54, 13. He says, they will all be taught by God. Now, why do you think that is? Why is that important? They will all be taught by God. Well, first off, what do we know? First off, we know that God's word is meant to be our final authority. So if you want to know truth, you first go to where God is teaching. Right? Where is God actually speaking? He's speaking in the scripture. So Jesus quotes scripture. And then second, he's showing them that everyone who is part of God's chosen people will have God's truth revealed to them. They will understand it will not be foolishness. The cross will not be foolishness to us who actually have the Holy Spirit within us. We will revel and celebrate and praise and bring glory to Jesus Christ for what he has done. Everyone who truly hears and learns from the Father through his word will yield themselves to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is talking about salvation. He's talking about how you can have eternal life. In Isaiah 54, the prophet is talking about God's just ultimate gracious mercy in rescuing his people by providing a way for them as well as he is giving them the ability to sustain them to the end of days. He provides for us. He gives us purpose as well as he sustains us to last to the end. Isaiah 54, 17 says... This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me, declares the Lord. God is the one who vindicates us. It's a work of the Lord within the person that allows us to be taught the truth by God. We must first be given new life. We must be awakened, brought to life by the power of the Holy Spirit from death to life, right? Ephesians 2 from death to life in order to respond in faith, to recognize the truths of God, to be taught by God. Amen. We cannot see God the Father, but in human flesh He came down to us. We do not understand God the Father, right? We understand in Romans that it talks about how all of creation proclaims His glory, so no man is without excuse. But we cannot understand the Father unless He comes to us, and He did in human flesh. That's what Jesus is talking about. I have come from heaven. Jesus is telling us that he came down from heaven to teach us about God, to give us God's final revelation in himself, and that he is the only way to possess eternal life with God. He's the only way. He's the only way to possess eternal life in God. This is, this is, there is no other way. Truth is literally, by definition and through logical thought, singular. There is one way. Verse 47 says, 
Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life in me. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one, or so that the one may eat of it and not die. That one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus gives himself for us. Jesus is not claiming to be like the manna in the wilderness, right? There's this understanding of what happened with uh, history with Moses as they escaped uh, Egypt in the Exodus, the escape from slavery. Jesus is not saying that he is like that manna in the wilderness. He is telling them that he is even greater than the manna in the wilderness. He is telling them that the manna points to him. It is a shadow of what he is to do. It points to him, the bread from the sky that God gave his people to sustain them as they walked through that desert on their way to the promised land. It is meant to inform us about who Jesus Christ is and what he does for us. He gives us life. The manna that fell from heaven, that was given to the Israelites, that manna sustained life only for the Jews. It was meant only for the Jews, but in Jesus, life is given to the whole world. The manna had to be eaten daily, but the Jews still died. In Jesus, if you receive him, you will have eternal life. You will live forever. With manna... God gave his people a gift of bread, but with Jesus, God gave the gift of himself. It didn't really cost God anything to give the people in the wilderness the bread. It didn't really cost God anything to give the people of Israel food in the desert, but at such a great cost to himself, he gave his son to the world. But at a great cost to himself, He gave us his son. The Jews continued to grumble. Right? Jesus tells them all of this wonderful truth about eternal life. The thing that they yearn for, right? They want to serve God. They're not trying to follow after some sort of false God at this point. They are yearning to understand the God of creation, the God of the universe. But they continue to grumble after what Jesus, the Son of God, as he has proven himself to be. They continue to grumble just like their ancestors did when they were sick of God's way of rescuing them from slavery. They continued to grumble, 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. We can see that still the the Jewish people here were only thinking in the human perspective, how are we to eat this man? How can we eat this person, right? Would we not say the same thing? Yes. But Jesus responds, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life 
in you. Because all that Jesus is doing here is continuing this physical illustration of the spiritual truth for how we are given eternal life. That's what Jesus is doing. He's not talking literally. He's giving this physical illustration for what we receive spiritually through eternal life. He wasn't saying that we should actually physically eat his flesh or drink his blood. In fact, although this is talking about animals in, uh, in God's word in the Old Testament, he prohibits people from eating meat with blood still in it. That's in Genesis 9 and Leviticus 7 and 17, Deuteronomy 12 and, 12, and Deuteronomy 15. So there's this prohibition from doing what these Jews were worried about doing But what Jesus was talking about was the necessity of accepting his sacrificial death as the way of atonement from God's wrath over our sin. We must yield to him. We must abide in him. John MacArthur points out that the term eat and drink here are not present tense verbs. They're not present tense verbs. And what that means for us, what that shows us, is that God's word is showing us that there is a one-time appropriation for Jesus Christ's atonement. It's important that we understand how this language is used, again, in context, to understand the whole thing. That's why sometimes we look at the Greek and the Hebrew to understand it better. It is telling us that there is a one-time appropriation for Jesus Christ's atonement and not a need for continual eating and drinking of his body and blood for the removal of sin like that of the Roman Catholic opinion. Partly why it's not talking about the Lord's Supper. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, all of that is singular, has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, again singular, abides in me and I in him. This is relational. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Again, Jesus was talking about this in the synagogue at Capernaum. So again, this passage and actually really the entire chapter is teaching us about what we are given in eternal life. We're given this beautiful and glorious relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing that we get to learn. And even though Jesus' words are beautiful, and those of us who have faith can, can revel in, and, and glorify God for the salvation that has given us, these words are still challenging, even if we understand them correctly. Because when we think of our loved ones, we think of our neighbors and our co-workers, our, our fellow students, or anybody else that the Lord puts in your path, these doctrines, they, they challenge us. They challenge our emotions. Because Jesus' word, he teaches. By Jesus' word, he teaches us in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
The reality is, and this is what Jesus is telling us, just in that one verse, this is the reality, that we are lost without him and that we are unable to come to Christ unless the Father draws us. The Father, God the Father, must draw us to the Son. We must first be chosen by Him, and then Jesus will raise us up into new life in Him, because then we are also promised to be with Him at the end of days. It's a glorious and wonderful thing, but hear me, I hope your heart breaks when you hear that. I hope your heart breaks for all of those people that you were just thinking about. I hope your heart breaks for all of those who are confused by faith or even considered lost in regards to salvation because it must be faith alone in Christ alone. We talked about last, last week, we talked about how everyone has faith in something. But it must be faith alone in Christ alone. But I want you to hear this. This is the truth. That is the sovereignty of God. But hear this and don't despair because we are not left without the opportunity to be a part of their salvation. The people that you're just thinking about, we're not left to just simply be uh, without opportunity to to help them or, or give them the opportunity of salvation because Jesus told us that the people who will be given new life will all be taught by God. That's how we come to faith. We are taught about God by God. That means that they will be taught and they will respond, all of those who do that, by God's authoritative word. We have the opportunity to be a part of their salvation by showing them God's authoritative word. Paul explains this same truth in Romans 10. He says this, Romans 10, 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, right? Think of all of those people who you're just thinking about. If they don't believe, how are they going to follow after Christ? How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That is us. And this is our charge for gospel-centered action and evangelism. This is what we're meant to do at Maranatha. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must present God's authoritative word because all of those who will be given eternal life will come to God through being taught by God. It is the word of God that saves because it points us to Jesus Christ and tells us what we need for salvation to yield ourselves to him, to abide in him, to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. We must share the good news of Jesus Christ and pray that the Holy Spirit gives those people new life as they hear the word being proclaimed and preached faithfully. So are you willing to take and eat of Jesus Christ? As you sit here, and even as I challenge us to go out and do this, and you recognize, maybe I haven't taken and eaten. Will you, are you willing to take and eat of Jesus Christ? I read these this week, and I thought they were, they were helpful. It says, food is useless unless it is eaten. 
And it's the same thing when it comes to the Word of God. You must do more with it than know where to find it. Only hungry people are the ones who want to eat. So if you fill your life with all sorts of other things, then you will never hunger or thirst for Christ. Food strengthens and gives life to our body. If you don't let God sustain your spiritual life, it's going to die. As well, no one willingly eats spoiled food. So every time you put food in your mouth, every time we eat, we're trusting that it's good for our bodies. Therefore, you must trust in Christ for your faith. And the last one, you are unable to eat a meal for someone else. Everyone must come to God as an individual. No one's faith is appropriated to anyone else. So will you take and eat? Will you take and eat of Christ? Will you abide in him? Will you abide in the word of God that has power for salvation and leads you in all everything that is about life and godliness? Will you take and eat of Jesus Christ? Will you abide in him? Will you yield your life to him as you have been bought with a price? My prayer is that you will. If you would, pray with me, please. Father, we love you and thank you for your truth. We thank you for your son. Lord, we recognize that at such a great cost you sent him to us. Help us, Lord, to, to understand that, to have that transform our hearts. Give us greater faith, Lord, and uh, remove doubt from, from our lives. It is difficult as we walk in this world and we, we face difficulty and suffering and challenges and broken relationships and the difficulty of just, just existing here, Lord. We, our minds and our heart stir up all sorts of questions. Lord, you've given us life in your Son. You've given us a way to hear from you in your word. Lord, call us to it and give us a thirst that is, we feel eternally fulfilled, but it is never quenched. Let us return and return and return to the well that is eternal, that is everlasting. I thank you, Father, for these truths and help our hearts as we now partake in the supper, remembering all that your Son has done. In Jesus' name, amen.